Hello, and welcome to another episode of NKF Life as a Nephrologist podcast. I am Sam Kent, a transplant nephrology fellow at Johns Hopkins. Over the past year and a half, the NKF and ASN have been leading the effort to develop race-free EGFR test results while maintaining the accuracy of the test. The NKF ASN Task Force on reassessing the inclusion of race in diagnosing kidney diseases has recently released its final report that recommends a new race-free approach to estimate EGFR. In this collaborative episode with ASN, the task force discusses how they approached the work and what efforts are being made to ensure the new equation is implemented as quickly as possible. Our guests, Dr. Cynthia Delgado, Dr. Leslie Inker, Dr. Joe Vassilotti, and Todd Ibrahim discuss the goals of the task force and how the healthcare team came together to come up with a solution that better served kidney patients. Now let's introduce our members of the task force. My name is Cynthia Delgado. I'm an associate professor of medicine with UCSF in the San Francisco VA Medical Center. I'm also, or was, the co-chair of the NKF ASN task force to reassess the role of race in EGFR equations. I'm Leslie Inker. I'm a nephrologist at Tufts Medical Center in Boston, associate professor at the Tufts University School of Medicine. I was a member of the task force, and I also co-direct the Chronic Kidney Disease Epidemiology Collaboration, the research group that has been developing evidence for GFR estimating equations for the past 18 years. I'm Joe Vassilotti. I'm a nephrologist. I'm National Kidney Foundation's Chief Medical Officer. I am clinical professor at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, and I've been thinking mostly about implementation of the final report that the task force recently published. Hi, I'm Todd Ibrahim. I'm executive vice president of the American Society of Nephrology, and we co-supported the task force with uh, the National Kidney Foundation. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Cynthia, Leslie, and Joe uh, to talk about the task force, its recommendations, and implementation, but also the broader opportunity for the nephrology community to provide leadership in this important arena. Um, so Cynthia, since you were the co-chair of the task force, maybe we should start with you. I'm curious as to your, just the charge to the task force, how it came together, a little bit of insights about the membership. Yeah. Um, so just to give a little bit of a background in terms of the timeline with our kidney function estimating equations, uh, you know, estimating equations were implemented and utilized, published as early as 1976. Um, over the nearly, you know, 40 some odd year um, evolution of estimating equations, race was used as a coefficient to estimate kidney function. And as early as 2017, really, um, calls for questioning as to the rationale for the use of race and estimating equations were raised. Um, some individuals were asserting that there were issues with observing racial differences and um, putting individuals in two different categories may not be the most appropriate thing. There are also concerns of, over whether the existence and transparency and patient-physician communication existed with such a coefficient. And really, in the setting of uh, all the social unrest that we have all experienced and seen over the last couple of years, um, it, the, the discussion and the debate cat was catapulted into the frontline view of all of us. So all of these points of views have really highlighted that had really highlighted the need 
to find an approach that embraces the substantial diversity within the U.S. population and promotes social and health equity without creating new or worsening current health disparities. So with that in mind, we, the task force was created by the NKF and the ASN, and we had very specific goals. The first goal was to examine the inclusion of race in the estimation of GFR and associated implications. The second goal was to consider the multiple social and clinical implications be based on rigorous science and be part of a national conversation, incorporating concerns of patients and the public, especially in marginalized and disadvantaged communities. Next was working towards an unbiased approach to assess uh, kidney function that ensured equity and did not uh, differentially biased against any one group of individuals. And then we wanted to make sure that the identified approach had potential long-term implications for removing race for the EGFR formula. Even though it sounds like it's a very simple task, it really um, took an all hands on deck approach to assess the situation and to really think about um, what the possible, how we would possibly address this issue. So the 14 members of the task force really rec represent people who had input and expertise in various aspects of medical care, including pharmacology, chemistry, uh, healthcare disparities, to be able to address this question. Um, so part of the, the responsibilities of the task force that we took on is to how to figure out how exactly we were going to really accomplish this question. We broke our uh, deliberations down into three phrases. The first phase was to determine what exactly was the problem clarifying the evidence with EGFR and its measurement, race and racism and genetic ancestry, body composition and populations used in EGFR estimation, standardization of guidelines and patients' perspective and shared decision-making. I will say the one of the most, I think, proud moments we had was having being able to have two patient advocates on our committee who were really just tremendous individuals and in um, participating in our deliberations and really following through with everything. I think sometimes um, they were really the true leaders of the task force with how well engaged they were and how, um, how well they advocated at every step for patients. And that was Glenda Roberts and Curtis Warfield. So I'm just curious from a process perspective, I think people would be really interested in just the mechanics of how the, the task force interacted. So it was, as you said, the summer of 2020 when NCAF and ASN agreed to form the task force. It took us a couple of weeks to identify the representatives, um, including the two patient representatives. Um, how did how did you get started? Sort of what was what was a daily sort of what was a week like in the life of the task force? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, you know, I think the very beginning we we agreed that we had certain uh, principles that we were going to adhere by. We were going to enjoy the process, really make sure that we took our time and were critical at all the data that we analyzed and, all, and made sure that we heard from not only investigators, but from the entire nephrology community at large. Uh, and so in so doing that, as I was saying before, we had to organize ourselves under categories of testimonies that we were going to receive in phase one and two and then deliberate on the information with everyone having um, equal say and openness, open-minded, being open-minded to hearing differences of opinion. So um, in that way, we came to a mutual consensus on how we, not only in, on the recommendations themselves, but how we went about doing this. So my memory was pretty much at least once a week for two hours, the task force would, would be a number of experts that would 
testify. There'd then be on a very specific issue. You know, I remember one on sort of understanding sort of genetic history and, and others that were more specific to the topic. Right. And then um, there'd be questions and conversation with the task force. And then the task force, the witnesses would, would come off the call. And it never really stayed within the two hours, as I recall. So it kind of went into um, a third hour often. And, and pretty much all the participants stayed in there and um, asked the questions. And, and just kind of curious as to what that experience was like for you once a week to spend two, three, four hours on this topic. Well, I, maybe Leslie might have a difference of opinion. But, um, <laughs> you know, I will say um, it really spoke to how engaged and how important we thought the issue was that we were all willing to put in the energy and the time to do this. I mean, 14 leaders in their own respective research fields um, to get, you know, taking two to three hours out. And we also had a Saturday session when we spent something like six hours talking about things. Um, it really does speak to the passion that we all had for coming to a unified approach and the, um, the drive that we had to get this done in a quick way so that we can serve our nephrology community. Um, so yes, it, it was quite a challenge making that time out, but I think this was a very rewarding experience and I'm sure that most of the other task members, if not all the task members would agree that um, it was time well spent. Leslie, was that your memory as well or did you have a different experience? Absolutely. It, I think we met every Friday from uh, late August till beginning of May, uh, I think. And it def I had to miss some of my weekly meetings, but we, we really developed a really wonderful group feeling. Uh, I didn't know most people at the beginning. We came in from different perspectives, uh, having different background, uh, different clinical experiences, different research experiences, different uh, values. And we really came together to listen carefully to each other, as well as to all the testimony that we, we hear, and to have a unifying recommendation that we thought was could really help the community move forward. In the middle of that sort of August to May period, too, there was a series of, of public witness testimony. So we invited trainees and nephrologists and other health professionals and, and patients to testify for a couple hours um, in a series of Friday evenings. I guess, Cynthia, why was that so important to have the public testimony? Well, we really needed to hear from everyone what everyone's experience was. And I have to say, I think, if anything, the testimonies that we heard um, were so touching and so passionate that it re-energized, I think, the task force even more. Um, hearing the patient experience was, you know, at times very um, emotional for me uh, at times. And I felt like if I wasn't in medicine to do something right for, for patients, such as the ones who were giving testimony, what was I doing? Uh, and so for me, it was a necessary um, part of the task force's deliberations to hear testimony from the community we were looking to serve. I very much felt the emotionality and of patients, but also of the providers and of the trainees who want so much to do what's right for their patients. And there was not a single idea that came across. There were multifaceted ideas, multiple perspectives. And I, I think this is part of that listening that I was saying earlier that we really listened to everybody and understand there was not one voice that the community was speaking to, but there were so many voices. And our job was to try and 
incorporate all of those different perspectives, those different needs to try and come up with an answer that would address all of these different perspectives. Uh, yeah, I think it was probably a rare time where all nephrology, all of nephrology, patients, healthcare providers, trainees who are interested really came together and were on the same page about wanting to come up with the solution that better served our patients. One question that I have that I've been thinking a lot about is, is why did the task force decide to issue an interim report and then a final report? Um, you mentioned the three phases, and I'm just sort of curious as to why that approach was so important to the task force. Well, we wanted we wanted to lay the foundation as to how we were doing things and what we how we were approaching the data. Um, we we felt that it was important to understand the background evolution of EGFR equations, the clinic, you know, starting with the Kroc-Alcalt equation, and really tell the story of how things have evolved um, and how we got to this point now. Um, it also laid down the groundwork to show individuals who were interested in what we were up to, how we were approaching the problem how we were really thinking about this and it opened up the you know because we had at the end of that 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 report we also had a link to get feedback on how we were doing to make sure we incorporated more individual feedback into our deliberations i i also think that it allowed us to articulate the complexity of the questions and the problems there have been this calling for change and immediate change and we really heard that. But we also heard all these perspectives, all of the testimonies and the complexity of the issues that we needed to address to to answer the NKF and the ASN's broad calling for us in our work. And, you know, those evidence and value statements, oh, Cynthia, are they three or four pages long? I, I really encourage everybody to read them. They were on one hand, hard to write, but on the other hand, there was a lot of agreement amongst all of us. And uh, I think even the reviewers uh, agreed with our the breadth and the depth of the issues that we recognized. Cynthia just mentioned the history of the GFR equations, and that certainly was one aspect which made sense. But we also talked about disparities and racism, all the things that we were really getting our hands filled with to understand these issues so that our solution, our answer, could speak to the breadth of the issues of which is being raised by this call for change. So, Leslie, the, the task force issued a final report, and the final report has three recommendations. Can you just walk us through those three recommendations? Sure. Uh, the first recommendation was that is to have immediate implementation of a new equation that was developed by CKDEPI that that allows for a GFR estimate based on creatinine that does not require inclusion of race. This is a new equation that we developed to re refit our data without consideration the race variable so that it has performance characteristics are same in, in both groups. And we think this should be immediately reported by all labs in the United States. We also recommended that there should be national efforts to facilitate increased and routine and timely use of cystatin C, especially to confirm EGFR in, in adults who are at risk or have chronic kidney disease, in particular because combining both filtration markers, that is creatinine and cystatin C, leads to more accurate results and less differences between, between the groups. And we think more accurate results with less differences can lead to support better clinical decision making. 
And finally, we recommended that there should be increased research on GFR estimation with new endogenous filtration markers, as well as really importantly, interventions to eliminate race and ethnic disparities. So from a lay perspective, can you just sort of walk us through the two, if I, as a, as a patient, those first two recommendations, what, what, just sort of interpret that for me. For patient, I hope this is very seamless. Uh, I, I think that we're, with the NKF is taking the lead and working with all the clinical laboratories in the United States to change the GFR reporting from the current equation that is the CKDF equation 2009 one that requires specification race to the new equation that does not require specification of race. Uh, we're doing a lot of education uh, to try and help providers understand what the difference and what it means and what it and that then they can use that new value to make clinical decisions appropriate for their patient. I, I think the beauty of this is that um, the, the approach continued to embrace the incredible diversity of the developmental population and uh, Leslie's cohort while maintaining the, the, um, the need to not single out any one race group. So I think that's one thing that you can tell patients that is, you know, a really important thing that we embraced our diversity, but not in such a way that the diversity was singled out. Um, and in that, in doing so, we found a balance between uh, the equation performance without biasing any one group or any individuals, which I think is very important. And for the 85% of individuals in the United States who do not have chronic kidney disease, the first approach, the refit approach, will be appropriate for evaluation of other things that are important in general medical care, including, you know, studies like MRIs, cardiac catheterizations, uh, or general medical care in terms of dosing uh, medications. For those individuals who have chronic kidney disease or are being evaluated for chronic kidney disease, the second recommendation really comes into play. The second recommendation allows us to confirm using both the sustancy and the sim creatinine assay as in one equation to reaffirm or confirm whether the person has true chronic kidney disease. It's a way to refine our approach for a kidney disease evaluation and add it to the other, uh, the other things that we look at as nephrologists in terms of figuring out the chronicity and whether or not someone has true disease. You know, And so in the third approach really was highlighting the how much we still need to know about this. So, and I think Joe can elaborate on that a little bit. So Joe, uh, Leslie had mentioned that the NKF is going to take the, the lead with implementation. So I'm curious, as you, you listen to Leslie and Cynthia's description, how are you thinking of this problem? What's, what's the plan to implement? What's the timeline? Well, first I want to say that the medical students, I think, started us on this journey somewhat. I mean, they were driving race-free practice of medicine, I think. And so I think I want to acknowledge medical students. I want to acknowledge working with the American Society of Nephrology and the National Kidney Foundation together to provide leadership and to address a calculation in medicine that was based on race. And there, there are many other calculations in medicine that still exist that are based on race. So personally, and on behalf, I think of both organizations, I'm thrilled with the work of the task force, the leadership that we've shown in addressing this problem that in a data-driven way, but that also considered racism 
considered the patient perspective and considered the perspective of not only nephrologists, but um, other clinicians that interact with patients and pharmacists. I think that I want to point out GFR is only one of three things we think about when kidney disease is detected and risk stratified. And that goes to the KDGO and KDOGI um, guidelines. So C is for cause, G is for the GFR, which is estimated usually clinically, and A is for albuminuria. So I want to make sure that we double our efforts. And I think it's fair for me to say that nephrologists could do better for people with kidney disease. Primary care clinicians can do better. The laboratories can do better. And we're working together to implement the new equation uh, throughout the country so that not only patients can see their estimated GFR without race, but we can also start to practice medicine uh, and, and do better for our patients. Kidney disease is under detected. Uh, there's 37 million American adults have chronic kidney disease. According to NHANES, about 10% of them are aware of it. And the care they get um, could certainly be improved. And I think we can think about that on multiple levels, um, how we can do better for our patients and also how we can think about health equity. So how can we do better with it with an eye to health equity? So um, I'm very excited about what we can do to help see this forward. And I think specifically, there's the issue of whether the patient has kidney disease or not. And then there's the issue of how severe it is and what the level of kidney function is and what kinds of things we should do for that person to help them in terms of slow the progression of kidney disease to prevent complications and kidney failure, but also to think about cardiovascular risk. So the, the lower your GFR and the more higher your albuminuria, the higher your cardiovascular risk. So we need to increase cardiovascular interventions for our patients with kidney disease in a way that the interventions match the risk stratification. And then all medications um, are important to consider about, I think half of the FDA approved drugs are cleared by the kidney uh, from some of the papers I've I read. And so the clinician needs to think about the level of kidney function when they uh, prescribe the medications. And also there are iodinated-based contrasts that are used for CAT scans and angiograms and gadolinium-based contrasts that are used for MRI scans that uh, we need to consider the level of kidney function, usually when it's very low in, in, in the practice. And then uh, I will just say that uh, the use of cystatin C, we need to work with uh, policy together to help improve uh, reimbursement for cystatin C. And we also need to think about how we can scale cystatin C use in the laboratories. And when cystatin C is indicated, I think will be extremes of body mass, extremes of muscle mass. And also there are certain medications that inhibit tubular creatinine secretion. So they make creatinine less accurate creatinine-based estimating equation less accurate that we heard of before the first um, recommendation from the task force. And that makes the second recommendation, the combined creatinine and cystatin C important to use. And some examples of those are HIV medications like dolutegravir, cobcystat, uh, trimethoprim, which is part of a commonly used uh, antibiotic. So those are just examples. But I, I think um, that's another aspect that we need to think about how, how we can scale the availability and also inform clinicians about when cystatin C should be ordered appropriately. So 
before we move specifically to the strategy for engaging the, the laboratories about the, the new um, guidelines, you had mentioned the one of the issues related to the sort of legislative and regulatory strategy in terms of reimbursement. Of course, Leslie mentioned the third recommendation, which was increased research um, funding in this arena. I, I will point out just you know, there, there is a legislative and regulatory agenda here. ASN and NKF have already agreed to, to collaborate on, on, on those efforts. Um, to Leslie's point about the third recommendation, you know, I do think it's a national disgrace that the, the NIH in particular has, has provided so little funding in this area. Back in 1985, HS had a commission from the HHS secretary. And this was the eighth recommendation more than almost 40 years ago saying there needed to be more funding related to, um, at the time, it was black minority health. Um, and the fact that there's been so little movement there is just, again, it's disgraceful. So my hope is that we can use this opportunity because it does seem like a potential leadership moment. Also, as you mentioned, Joe, the other specialties, which I think have not moved as quickly in terms of um, race-based algorithms and their specialties. I think there's maybe eight specialties and 13 total that, that I know of. Just sort of curious as to sort of two questions. First, um, your thoughts on kind of a leadership moment for nephrology and then sort of using that as a transition into what you're thinking of in terms of engaging the laboratories. I think about nephrology leadership here on two levels. I, I think just to put this quickly in context, you know, 2019 was probably the most exciting year in many, many years for nephrology with the Advancing American Kidney Health Initiative, the executive order, and the Credence trial uh, for improved outcomes with a SGLT2 inhibitor. And then the promise of 2019 kind of fell off with the pandemic in, in 2020. And so I think uh, this is really a chance for us to recapture that enthusiasm that we had in 2019 and, and lead. And I think the leadership can come if you're a cl uh, clinical nephrologist in a community setting, you can be a local resource for your practitioners and your patients um, in your sphere of influence about implementation of the new equation, of, about what that means and about what kidney disease means for your patients and for, for your colleagues. Um, I think to take it a, for us another step, you can be a leader to work with your health system to make sure that this is incorporated into the laboratory reporting. You can work with your laboratory to make sure you understand which estimated GFR equation is being reported. You can work with your laboratory to help them uh, with Cystatin C uh, availability locally if it's not available. You can inquire about the cost of Cystatin C locally and see what can be done uh, because um, obviously if we want to scale something, we want to make it make sure it's affordable to our patients, and especially when we're thinking about health um, equity. And I think that this is an opportunity for you as a nephrologist to show leadership, to show that we are the first to address this race-based calculation in medicine. The wonderful way we heard um, from uh, Leslie um, uh, earlier from Cynthia as well. So um, I think that um, this really is is our time to show leadership and to show that we, we make a difference. I think nephrologists are among the most skilled physicians. Um, that we deal with multi-system disease. We're, we're comfortable dealing with 
patients who have diabetes and hypertension and rheumatological disorders and infections. And I think um, we can show leadership clinically as in our, with our clinical expertise and also in our, in our communication about this and thinking about 2020 and all that happened with racism in this country and our reckoning with racism, but also with the COVID-19 pandemic and how that the burden was also inequitable. So I think it's an opportunity to start to work our way back. And anything we do in kidney disease should certainly consider vulnerable populations because we need to understand people who have less so we can do more for them so they'll have better outcomes. So each of you practices in a, in a large city. And I'm just curious if we're to go around, we'll start with Cynthia in San Francisco and then go to Leslie in Boston and then Joe, you in New York. What you think these recommendations and the task force's final report, what that's going to mean for your patient population, particularly your patients from who are Black and African-American? Well, I mean, race is a social, not a biological construct, right? So it really had no place um, in our healthcare algorithms. Um, and I think that our work really does show that it is possible to uphold our social responsibility and keep our healthcare quality at the highest level. So I think patients can be reassured that we will continue to do quality healthcare and individualized healthcare without considering race, which I think is a big deal. So Leslie, as we move to Boston, so we'll go from one end of the country to the other. I think these messages that Cynthia so nicely said are really across the country. We, we all feel the same way. And I think really importantly for the way we as a task force and we as a nephrology community address this question is that we didn't just make a change because it felt good, it was the right change. We did it because it was based on good data. And so our patients, our physicians, the other healthcare uh, professionals who use the information can be reassured that this is a really good estimate of kidney function that on which you can base a lot of your clinical decisions. And if you have more questions, there's a next level, second line confirmatory tests that are readily available, in this case, a cystatin, or maybe less readily available in the case of a measured creatinine clearance of the 24-hour urine or a a measured GFR using an exogenous filtration marker, which we do at Tufts, to to really have a value that's even more accurate for the more complex clinical decisions. And I, I actually think that the whole conversation is allows us to uh, reinforce the, the message we've been saying all along. This is an estimate. It's a really good value. But it's okay. If you have questions, come see us as nephrologists. We're, 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 re we're ready and we want to talk to you about uh, providing even more accurate values for those clinical decisions where you need a little bit more accuracy. So, so Joe, after you provide your perspective from New York, I'm curious. I mean, obviously, the NKF provides a lot of educational material for patients. And if you could just help us sort of know where uh, people should go if they'd like more information on this topic. So what do you see happening in New York and more general or more globally? What, what are NCAF's plans for providing patient education in this arena? This summary here is that it will be good that we are estimating GFR without race for, for patients, for clinicians to see it that way, for, for trainees. I think it'll be important for them to see um, the impact that their, some of their advocacy has had. I, I'm excited about that. I think that 
we usually estimate GFR in routine practice, but we have to remember it's an estimate and think about trends and think about when we need additional tests like cystatin C. And occasionally, you know, uh, like for kidney donation, we might need to measure the GFR or, or some in some circumstances where a critical drug like a chemotherapy is being prescribed, we might consider it in uh, that setting. I think it's important to be honest with everyone that, you know, the changes here, though, will only drive health equity a small amount, you know, that they, and in some ways, and actually there, you know, there are certainly potential um, considerations, and I'm so glad Leslie reminded us of the third recommendation about uh, doing research on the implications. There are some potential adverse outcomes here. I think that there are small, um, and I'm not particularly worried, but we need to we need to make sure we monitor for those. But I think the root causes of inequities in kidney health um, are, are vast and complex, and that uh, we need to do a lot more than just this um, equation change to, to drive health equity. So I think that's really important to be honest. I'm thrilled that we've done this together. I'm thrilled with the leadership that we've demonstrated in nephrology with the American Society of Nephrology and the National Kidney Foundation. But I think that we, we have a lot of work ahead of us. I'm very proud of the work the National Kidney Foundation has done to implement um, and working with the members of the task force uh, like Cynthia and Leslie to, to have the GFR calculator. So that's on kidney.org, www.kidney.org. You can look, there's a GFR calculator that now will display the 2021 CKD epi equation using creatinine and also the 2021 CKD epi equation using creatinine and cystatin C. So both equations are there and, and available. There is also an app that I use a lot in the clinic myself with the fellows, um, a GFR app that's available um, on your um, iPhone or on your Android phone. So that's at the, the a GFR app so that you can enter the creatinine values and the age and the sex of the patient. You can see um, the estimated GFR and you can also, some of the labs don't report estimated GFR with the combined creatinine and cystatin C. That's something we need to work on. So the, the app and the calculator are very nice tools um, where you can calculate the estimated GFR on your laptop or your computer or your or phone when, um, when your lab only reports the um, assay value of cystatin C without the com combined equation uh, reporting. And there are a lot of other um, activities that the National Kidney Foundation is doing. There, there is a, a loin code was just released for the laboratories that will help them with electronic reporting and will help for data collection for clinical research and quality improvement. And in addition uh, to that, there will be um, explanations and uh, we have a frequently asked questions about GFR estimates that we're, um, that we're revising now to be consistent with the changes. And I think we'll have additional educational activities around Cystatin C, when to appropriately uh, order it and how to interpret it and in combination with, uh, with the serum uh, creatinine for the combined equation. And uh, I'm looking forward also to working in health policy. And I know that with, we'll do that with the American Society of Nephrology. We need, a, I think, a national coverage determination for um, Medicare for cystatin C, um, which doesn't exist right now. So it's left up to local coverage determination. 
Um, and I think there are other ways that we can think about uh, working together um, to uh, improve the implementation and ultimately what really matters, the, uh, the care and the outcomes of our, our Americans living with kidney diseases. Well, I think this is a tremendous moment for nephrology at large. Like, I think all of us have alluded, this is only the beginning. There are many other things that need to happen for us to adjust health disadvantaged um, issues and uh, disparities in health and healthcare. I think that if we can do this in a year, what can you imagine we can do moving forward? And so hopefully we can continue this energy moving forward to continue dismantling other issues that, uh, that affect healthcare delivery. Well, Cynthia, Leslie, and Joe, thank you for taking the time to discuss the final report of the NKFASN task force. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have ideas for future episodes? Email us at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. Thank you for tuning in.